gossip. Who back when? Holy moly, podcast lands. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. Dang right it is. <laughs> <laughs> you recognise that voice. It's it's Steed styling himself. It's Stephen from New to Who. Hello, Hello. Stephen. Hello. Thank you for having me back again. It's, we've been away for all the two minutes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm Leon and I'm thrilled to still be sitting here at the same table with Stephen. <laughs> we've just spent two hours recording episodes whatever it ends up being, the new to who back when part one. And we're continuing. In that one, if you haven't listened to it already, I'm going to assume this is B083. Go back and listen to B082. It's where we go through the best and the worst picks with which to introduce someone to Doctor Who. And we're going through solely classic Who doctors. So we're doing Doctor by Doctor, best and worst pick. And in this one, we're in new Who territory. Mm-hmm. Baby, this is going to yes. be exciting. Yeah, holy moly. Something's just dawned on me. We didn't even discuss the eighth Doctor in the first episode. That's true. I'm a Doctor. But probably not the one you're expecting. Maybe we can do that as a little bonus intro to this episode. (laughs) Is the one single thing that McGann did, not counting his 12-minute bonus... Night of the Doctor, yeah. Yeah. Is that a good or a bad way to introduce someone to Doctor Who? Oh, gosh, that's a difficult question. It's mean. It's a a mean one. Um, Can I just say, I love your review of that one. (laughs) Thank you. That was a lot of fun, and we were talking to Jeremy Raddick, who was in the actual TV. I I don't... Look, I think it is such a curio, because it's the only Doctor Who produced in the 90s. Yeah. So there's nothing to benchmark it against. And apart from, as you say, Night of the Doctor, it's the only McGann story. And a bunch of audio stories. True, true, true. But But it's a different beast. Absolutely it is. So I think it's probably, whether good or bad, it's the only introduction to the 8th Doctor and 90s Doctor Who that you're going to get, like it or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know if I consider him classic Who. He's somewhere in that weird grey area between classic and new. I think it's classic for me in the sense that anything prior to Eccleston really and the reboot, 2005 is kind of like when Doctor That's when we begin. And also, Doctor Who becomes really cool at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you could have said that for as a fan in the nineties. I think it was very much like a very much a niche thing. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, right. Well, okay. Well, saying that, we're jumping into that reboot show. Yeah, yeah. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. Do you want to take us away, Eccleston? What is a what's a good choice to introduce someone to Doctor Who with? Well, I mean, there are so many amazing stories in that first series. It's kind of like the first album that your favorite band releases because they've been sitting on this since they were fifteen years of age, right? Yeah, and it's been like just perfected over that period of time, and they'll come out with just an incredible album. And that's what happens with series one, I think. Russell and those writers like. Stephen Moffat and Paul Cornell have been sitting on these ideas for years and now they finally get to do it for the BBC. And you know, yeah. and so it's wonderful. So any one of those stories is a fantastic place to start. Eccleston is an incredible actor. We all know that. Piper brings something that is just wonderful as the companion. So Charismatic, you know, energetic. Oh, completely. And a massive crush on her. But <laughs> I, th- I think it's hard to go past the first episode. Rose is like a perfect reboot episode to yeah. bring a new audience into. Rose is the audience identification character and figure. We get to see her life, but we also get to see the Doctor and who get introduced to that mystery through her eyes as well. So it's really cleverly done as well. It's also set on Earth, contemporary London. 
or then contemporary London, which has a big part to play with it as well. So in terms of introductory stories, like, I, yeah, I could have said Dalek. I could have said Empty Child and Dr. Dances and like many others. And all of those are perfect, perfect jumping on points. Yeah. But Rose is like engineered as a jumping on point after 16 years of the wilderness years. So I have to say Rose. Uh, I completely agree with you. In fact, I've also picked Rose and here are my runners up, Dalek and the Empty Child <laughs> slash the Dr. Dances for exactly the same reasons. Yeah. Rose is, I mean, for, for anyone in podcast land who still hasn't pressed pause on this episode and gone back and listened to our classic who best worst discussion for much the same reason as I would say Spearhead from Spearhead. Space. Yeah. For Pertwee, this is the the best place to start with Eccleston. Eccleston yeah. also only gets the one season, so if you're if you're gonna have to cherry pick something, you, you, it it makes it very tricky. Mm. You're gonna have to kill some darlings, and so why not start um, at the very beginning where it's actually narratively set up to introduce an unknowing audience? Completely, yeah. Yeah, Mickey Ricky, notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a great show. Yeah. A great episode, yeah. Dalek has, obviously, the Dalek. It introduces a foe in a way that really echoes the sentiment, you are the audience, you already know this guy. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) We don't have to set them up. Yeah. He just says, oh, they're the most terrifying or dangerous alien in the universe. That's that's enough. Everyone else knows, yeah, they've got a sucker and a whisk and they're (laughs) very evil. (laughs) And Empty Child Doctor dances. Holy smokes. Well, I mean, that is just... I'm in love with Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who, as I am in love with Russell T. Davis's version of Doctor Who as well. But he sort of brings this mad, wonderful kind of comedy uh, situation comedy kind of writing to to doctor who and you know every line every piece of dialogue in that two part just sparkles it's a joy to watch you could absolutely watch it as a jumping on point but i still feel like rose would be the first one to go with and then you know from there just make your way forward because it's it's only 12 episodes all we get of eccleston i know well so far i dare to dream (laughs) so do i Empty Child and Dr. Dances also introduces us to, I mean, introduces us, it introduces Blitz-era London yeah. to New Who. And it's, it's, a, it's a time and a place that is frequently revisited across Doctor Who, in New Who anyway. Yeah, in New I don't know Who. about classic. No, no, it's not in classic at all. The closest that we get is Dalek Invasion of Earth. Where right. I mean, they are it's the Nazis. what if the Nazis and, had won. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. Yeah. In that sense, it, it's a very effective taster of much of the aesthetic and the, I guess, historical core values that are going to come into play later on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Also, it's creepy as balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. about the worst one? Look, it's really difficult to choose because that first ep- first series is really, really strong. And so what, again, you know, we were talking about Pertwee and I said that it's not that there's a stinker. It's just that because of the virtue of the fact that Dix and, and Let sort of raised the floor on Doctor Who production, it's just like the least good of a really good bunch. Yeah. I think it's the same with this one. And, and I'd probably say long game, maybe? Only because I feel like all of the others have like a sense of immediacy, whereas the long game kind of sets up what we later see in the in the two parter at the oh. end of the series, and so yep. hence hence the long game, um, yep, yep, the yep. title. But I I don't know if in and of itself as, as as a standalone if it works, but it definitely works in relation to the rest of the series and particularly the last two parters. Yeah, I had forgotten about the long game actually. It's got bloody Adam in it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. don't like that guy. Yeah, mm. but it also has Simon Pegg. 
It does. Yeah. Such a waste of Simon Pegg. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a pity. <laughs> I quite enjoy Simon Pegg. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, that's a good choice. That's a very good choice. I, it's, it's the only one that I can think of that would come close. I love Boomtown. I don't think that's the weakest of the season, by the way. Remind me. Basically, the Doctor and Margaret Slavine sitting down and having a chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, there's a lot of tension there. Yeah. Yeah. Two great actors sitting opposite one another again. Yeah, being very intense with each other. Brilliant. That's a a good choice. Interestingly, I picked Aliens of London and Holy Smokes, what's it called? World War Three. Yeah, Yeah. okay. So we're also looking at the Slavine. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the word stinker before. I don't like them. I'm just like, I'm not a fan of them. Yeah, fair. As a fictitious alien race, as a ham-fisted attempt at humour and slap. I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of slapstick in general. So the fact that we put these really, these meandering, fat, gassy blobs mm. in charge of government is prescient, but, but it, I, it doesn't really feel like Doctor Who to me. I understand that. Sure. And I think that was sort of the, a lot of the criticism of that two-parter at the time. Mm. I guess I can kind of see it from the point of view if you were like eight in 2005, which, oh, I, was, which I wasn't. It's like, that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, there are farting aliens? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then on the other side of that, I think there is, like you said, it's a bit prescient, but it's also a massive critique of, you know, Western liberal governments in a post-Thatcher world where, you know, Tony Blair, who's supposedly, you know, a, a left, you know, Labour... Everything is relative, yeah. Yeah, everything is relative, <laughs> you're right. Taking us to war on the thinnest of pretense of, mass, you know, weapons of mass destruction. And, yeah. and it, it's, it's a real parody of that that sort of that era, I guess, of British politics. It's, it's interesting to, to view it that way. Okay, I think that's a good reading and I appreciate the attempt to parody yeah parody that's that part of history yeah and effect on our present but mm. i don't feel that it's necessarily well done sure it's yeah. not effective not to me yeah. but yeah okay is that it for the ninth doctor it has to be i can't think of a, a an episode yeah. that is there's just too little bad. of it yeah 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 and and what there is is really high quality yeah that's it mm. yeah or it's so incredibly good that you have to watch it in sequence like the whole bad wolf scenario that's not a starting point. You yeah, don't start at the end exactly. of it. So there are certain episodes. There's a, a huge chunk of Eccleston that is just immediately disqualified. No, the, the best way to watch series one is first to last. Yeah. It's it's superb as a totality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Done. Right. <laughs> uh, begone and ninth doctor. <laughs> Tenth doctor. I'm the doctor, by the way. If anyone's interested. Holy smokes. Wow. We're into Tenant territory. Yeah. Okay. Is, I mean, this is the era where Doctor Who is amazing and cool and, you know, just the hottest thing on television. That's and right. There are toys in supermarkets. The sales of Converse must have skyrocketed. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, and hair gel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as a consequence, this was the introductory Doctor for a lot of people in yeah, New Who. Absolutely. Similar to, Colin, to, to Tom Baker for Classic. Yeah. And and there's two sort of moments, I think, where the public imagination is captured. The first one is obviously when Catherine Tate joins the show. Like, she's already an enormously popular comic actor with her own show yeah. who now joins Doctor Who. And it's an incredible scene. But the the one that I think is really the, the point where the public imagination isn't, isn't just caught alive is Series 2. 
and it's Tennant and Piper. And I think if you ask anyone on the right, street, okay, yeah. what is Doctor Who? Who is Doctor Who? Who are the actors in Doctor Who? To this day, most would say Tennant and Piper because they're iconic in the role and there's such amazing chemistry between the two of them. Blah, 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 blah. But I think the episode that I would choose to like introduce someone who has never seen Doctor Who from that era, it is from Series 2, and it's The Girl in the Fireplace by Stephen Moffat. Oh, my God. Why didn't I think of that? That's such a good choice. <laughs> it's the timey-wimey stuff. It's yeah. the high romance stuff. It's like Yes, absolutely. All of that stuff just sort of comes together, and it's the perfect, perfect script. It's also Doctor Who kind of joining the 21st century, because what you can't have anymore is what Eccleston called the neutered schoolboy figure of the Doctor. Right. He, we need to be able to address the, I guess, you know, one of Moffat's preoccupations, as we saw with, you know, Empty Child Doctor Dancers, is is the Doctor's relationship with sex. Yeah. And, you know, we have Tennant, who is clearly, you know, cast for his good looks, and Piper, who's cast for gorgeous looks, and you put them together, and I guess you have to start addressing that, which we start to see over the course of the series, but we also see in terms of the relationship between the Doctor and Renette Poisson, Madame de Pompadour. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think it's just played as a romantic story, utterly beautifully. It is gorgeous. So, yes, that would be absolutely my pick for the tenant story to pick out for to introduce to someone who's never seen Doctor Who before. Oh, my goodness. That's an, that's an incredibly good choice. It has such creepy sci-fi as well. The totally. clockwork droids yeah. or the using biomatter or bits <laughs> of bodies as knobs in a computer and so whatever else. Good. There's an eyeball for CCTV, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah it's it's... Oh, it's a it's a fantastic episode. Oh, yeah, well well done. I, 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 <laughs> now I've got best episode choice envy. It is my number one best, but you know there are others, and I think we'll probably talk about that once we've got your one. I think. Yeah. Okay. So I've I've got three here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not sure which one I'm putting first. Okay, yeah, yeah. What I've written first is, and this is not going to tally with what I've said on Who Back When. Mm. It's Runaway Bride. Ah. Oh. So I'm starting with a, with a Christmas episode. Yeah. So I'm trying to reel someone in by giving them a little bit of that Christmas spirit. Totally. I know I've said things about uh, Donna Noble <laughs> on Who Back When. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that if I went back and rewatched all of it, I would actually enjoy her. Okay. My fear is that that's just me warping my own recollection of it and that if I went back and rewatched it I would go nope nope I would write the first time <laughs> but as I recall that was a really fun episode yeah it's got so much energy it's such a great way of introducing a character sure. who's then disappearing for a while before being reintroduced mm-hmm. it, it's fun and we've got Wilf in it as well who's so charming yeah as Christmas specials tend to be, it's a feel-good episode. It's something mm-hmm. that you watch and you will invariably be happy that you did so by the end of it. Yeah. So I think that's a good way of hooking someone. That's a great choice. I can absolutely see that. Right. Maybe that's my number one then. So, I mean, that's... The, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a couple of others on this list, but let, what else have you got? Okay, right. So I, I've got two that are wildly different from mm-hmm. one another. One is Midnight. Yeah. Is that one of yours as well? Yeah. It's it's a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. It is Doctor heavy. Yeah. It doesn't dilute the Doctor performance with a companion or even a companion of the week. We don't have historical characters who are given dialogue because they need to. Obviously, they need to have that, but that takes away from the Doctor. So if you're introducing someone to the Doctor, 
a doctor-heavy episode is the way to go. That's a really good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. And wow, does he act. What a performance. And I can't remember her name now. Neither the uh, actor nor the character. Silvestri, I think. Silvestri, yes, I think that ring, that, that uh, I think that's right. It, the 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 woman who echoes yeah, the voice yeah. and then preempts the voice after a while. Yeah, those two they they act so well together. Mm. It's one of the most terrifying episodes I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, great, wonderful. Yeah, and the other one, I think we're we're going to agree because what you mentioned before in terms of it being at one end of the polar extreme. Yeah, this is an episode I'm guessing is oh, a Doctor Light episode. It's certainly Doctor Lighter. Okay. Do you, it, it, it's pseudo historical. Okay. Is it the same? Are we thinking? Are we still no, no, on the same yeah, page? Yeah, I think we might be. Okay. It has a celebrity name drop. Okay. Not name drop. Celebrity in it. Oh keep no, going, we're not, we're not on the same. No, no, we may not be. <laughs> it ha- okay, it's Unicorn and the Wasp. Ah, oh. I mean, it's Agatha Christie. Yeah. It's a whodunit. That's a great choice. With a giant wasp from <laughs> outer space, it it has the silliness factor. Yeah, it has the historical context. Mm. It even anchors it with him saying, "Well, I mean, she disappeared for a certain amount of time. We don't know where she went." Yeah, and this just in a very silly way, fills that blank. Yeah. It's well acted. I don't know if I thought it was a good episode at the time, but I think it's probably not a bad episode to start with. I think that's a fair shout, actually. Yeah. The one that I had in mind was actually Plink. I, I knew you were going to say that when you when you went for Dr. Light. I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and yes, it's atypical. And yes, it's obviously not got the doctor in it very much. Yeah. But neither of those things are, you know, criteria to sort of rule it out of contention. If you're going to start someone to sort of say, hey, listen, I've got this show. I want you to watch one episode. If you like it, great. We'll watch more of it. If you don't, then we'll never watch it again. If they don't like Blink, there's no hope for them. They're never going to like the show. Yeah, but they will like the show because Blink yeah. is amazing. And like so many people I know have started with Blink and it's just like, give me more. Yeah. What, what do I watch next? Blink is such a good episode of The Twilight Zone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, for, for anyone who enjoys weirdly morally corrupt sci-fi <laughs> with no clear protagonist yeah solid choice it, I, I agree with you it's it's also beautiful oh yeah but both conceptually narratively and just in terms of its production it's a it's a stunning episode yeah and also emotionally as well yeah you know, we we have until the rain stops is the line that just kills me in that mm. my, my god just wonderful oh yeah. that is heartbreaking yeah yeah Oh, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. Yeah, I like that. Do we have a stinker? I've got one, and it's one that I tried to... I don't know why I picked this one at one point, <laughs> okay. but I did genuinely introduce someone to Doctor Who with oh. it, and I failed. It's Waters of Mars. Oh, okay, yeah. Because at the time, I hadn't rewatched it. Mm. So to me, it was that really cool, maybe John Carpentry-esque yeah, sci-fi story. It's a little dark. It might even be one of those episodes where like, hey, snuggle up. It's a little creepy. <laughs> and then you've got that <laughs> fucking robot gadget gadget instant boner killer. But yeah, yeah. For that reason, for, for historical reasons, my own personal history. Yeah, terrible choice. It didn't work out for you. I mean, she didn't end up being a Doctor Who fan. Okay, that's what I was asking. <laughs> right. <Yes. laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. You can't argue against that because you have actual evidence. I don't know whether it'd be the one that I would choose to start someone off on. Well done. But I, I think it's a pretty decent story apart from the whole gadget robot. Mm. The one that I picked that I think is just like, again, I've picked ones you know previously tonight where it's just like, this is just rubbish. Like if you showed them, they'd be like, is this genuinely your favorite show? 
Like, I'm, I'm ashamed. <laughs> I'd be ashamed to show them. The King's Demons being like a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. Way. It's the Doctor's Daughter. Oh, because of the fish aliens and the... Yeah, the fish drown. That's how they die. The fish drown. Let that sink in for a bit. Right, okay. It's it's also got just like a really sort of hokey and like like trite kind of, you know, like puzzle puzzle box kind of plot to it that doesn't really work out for me. And, you know, Donna comes back, but I don't really know what she's doing there. And and, I mean, not Donna, uh, Martha comes back. Uh, Yeah, sorry, no, you're right. Donna sort of... Like work has worked in the library and figures it out, and that's the most terrible piece of overacting by David Tennant about you know the man who never would, you know I never would. It's just oh so cringeworthy. Oh, um, no. And on top of that, the the fish drowned. So no, that's that's the worst one for me, hands down. I I oh hang on, what did I give it? What did I give it? <laughs> I give it two point Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why. That's still not a great score. D- does he? Ha- no, it's not. But d- d- by Doctor Who standards, but does he have good chemistry with the Doctor's daughter? Yeah, I. Th- I, th- I mean, at this point, they're already dating. I think in real life. I'm not sure. Actually, I think this is where they. Is met. this how they meet? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, you're I think so. Right. But you know, Georgia Tennant's fine, and you know, she's a great actress. And Tennant's a wonderful actress, and obviously, they sort of spark between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's a bit weird though that like she played his daughter and now yeah <laughs> it's a it's a bit creepy yeah yeah a little let's move on so <laughs> <laughs> good, good choice right Th- that's it is it any other runners up for worst episode to start someone off on no. it, it, that's a great choice by the way uh, no I, I genuinely think that's by far the weakest of the lot and the one that's just like cringeworthy so, yeah yeah Call me the Rockmeister. No, I'm the Doctor. Don't call me the Rockmeister. We are now into bow ties. Yeah. We are into Matt Smith territory. Yes. I love Matt Smith. I also adore Matt Smith. I think, yeah, no, not I think. I know more so than I do Tenant. I adore Tenant's run as well. Yep. But I, for whatever reason, I gravitate towards Matt Smith. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a tricky, tricky, tricky choice. So many. Do you have a clear best? No, I have three. Okay. I have... Oh, I have three as well, actually. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> you go first. All right. Okay. Oh, yikes, caramba. Okay. Here's one. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an episode that tries to encapsulate socially, economically, politically, the state of... <laughs> you know exactly what I I'm absolutely saying. adore it. The, the state of this country yeah. as it is projected into the future in the minds of the the showrunner the production team everyone i'm i'm talking of course about the beast below yes it works incredibly well as a standalone episode mm-hmm. it so solidly clarifies that this as a tv show can work as a, a convincing allegory of the world that is there watching it yeah and and it's it's good yeah. It's well written. It has a, a few really like what moments. <laughs> I, 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 hang on, I'm finding out. Beast below. Yeah, I I only gave a two point six. Oh. I don't know why. Actually, I can think of why. I mean, there, there are a few really dumb things. I mean, th- part of it is I don't like kids on TV. I, okay. I, I, they, right. I never find them convincing. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it would have made more sense to me if we'd have a tragic backstory where all the kids were just murdered. They were just eaten oh, by the beast. Dark. It's really, really dark. But you know what? I don't have to be taken out of the show by having to watch them act. No, no, no. The government didn't feed them. That would have been how you get rid of the kids. Oh, God, that's even worse. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. 
I'm sorry, I had to say it. I mean, it could be they're turned, they're, they're mulched in the Seeds of Doom machine <laughs> and just fed intravenously to the whale, who it turns out loves kids, doesn't know he's been eating them. No, anyway, now I'm just trying to drop Certainly an even worse really. episode. I mean, it, it's... It, Returning to what it actually is, it's it's a very good show, yeah. and I th- there are so many touch points in it that people will be able to relate to. Just the hopelessness of that future dystopian situation, the hopefulness of the protagonist wanting wanting to find a better way. I mean, they're riding this whale for a reason. Yeah, the the kinship with the whale itself. The last of its kind. Yeah. I mean, so we think. Mm. Uh, it, it's beautiful in so many ways, and I would absolutely recommend it. I agree. As a standalone episode, it is beautiful in every regard. And I think it's also one of those episodes that just captures the spirit of particularly Moffat's version of Doctor Who. It is high fairy tale fantasy, which yeah. is absolutely what Series 5 is all about. And that is a great place to start. The one that I picked and is another of those three on my list, which also includes The Beast Below, mm-hmm. it's The 11th Hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's the rose of its generation, if you like. It's also the spearhead from space of its own generation. In That's terms, right. In terms of, the, you know, the doctor picks his costume from a hospital, you know, changing room. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so there's nice little nods to the past, but it's also a mission statement. This is Moffat's version of the doctor. And this is also a new Doctor, but it's still the Doctor. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of moment on top of the roof with the Atraxi where it says, basically, run. That's that's the Doctor right there. Yeah. You don't need to wait any longer to be convinced that Matt Smith is the Doctor. It's wonderful. That's a fantastic choice. Can I mention, I have also used this one as an introduction. Yeah. So, I, I may have mentioned this on Who Back When already. Cats. My partner, she had never seen Doctor Who before she met me, ever. Mm. I mean, maybe she'd caught, like everyone has caught a glimpse of sure, it at some point. Yeah. She'd never watched it. And I hadn't convinced her slash I didn't want to try. To, I didn't want to be that guy basically and like scare her off and go like, hey, watch this crazy 60 year old uh, sci-fi show with me. Uh, I swear I'm cool. Um, <laughs> how, so, so I didn't introduce her to anything. Mm. However suddenly new Jodie Whittaker episodes were coming on. Oh, yeah. And I really wanted to watch them because they were new Doctor Who. Yeah. And she knew I wanted to watch them. So her first introduction to Doctor Who was there were two Jodie Whittaker episodes that she watched with me just because I had to watch them because we were going to talk about them on the podcast mm-hmm. or whatever else. They were new and we happened to be together that evening. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what they were. One, oh, no, one was... What's the one? They're in a big box. Store. They're in a warehouse on New Year's Eve, like a storage locker place. Oh, yeah. It's the Dalek... Uh, Something of the Daleks. Resolution of the Daleks, maybe? No, it's not that. Revolution of the Daleks? No, it's not that. Eve of the Daleks? Eve of the Daleks, that's exactly it. You're right, yeah. That one, and then the fucking Sea Demons, or Sea Devils, sea Devils. reboot. Legend. Yeah, go on. And, I mean, that's not a good episode. So after those two episodes, sorry, this is a long tangent, but after those two episodes, like I could see that spark of potential affection for this show just fading from her eyes and i go can i can i please please this is immediate this is immediately following the sea devils or the pirates whatever it's called penzance legend Legend of the yeah yeah, legend of the i don't care about this episode (laughs) so like not even 10 minutes have passed and she can see how visibly upset I am by the shit storm that we've just watched. And she's also saying stuff like this, like, no one here can act. Like, why are you, I don't understand. You must, 
I, under- I understand that it must have been good at some point, but this is not it. Yeah. And I just go, can I please show you one episode? Just uh, let me show you one episode of, of New Who. And I, I promise you it will just at least demonstrate why I love the show. <laughs> And I, sh- I showed her the 11th hour and I was just there with goosebumps at the end when he's basically just run. I- I'm getting goosebumps, literally, get- <laughs> literally getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. I love that episode so much. And I'm pretty sure that swayed her. Mm. Uh, and who could blame her? Yeah. It's such a good introduction to the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he had to be, right? Because Moffat's taking over from Davies. The BBC are shit scared that this is not going to work. They've yeah. just... David Tennant's walked out the door. Their initial reaction was, well, let's close it all down. And Russell was like, no, no, no. You're going to keep this going, even though I'm leaving, even though David's leaving. And, and Moffat's coming in. And he felt, I'm sure, the pressure of needing to write the best 50 minutes of television he ever has written in his life. And he did. Like, that is... Knocked it out of the park. Yeah just as i say a mission statement this is this is a new era and it's going to be as good as if not better than what we've had before superb i would argue better i can i can understand that yeah at least based on that episode yeah sure yeah yeah absolutely what did you have as your third oh okay right so i had uh, that wasn't even one of mine i didn't even think mm. i'm an i'm an idiot i i don't know why i didn't think of it what, what i had were the god complex oh nice because it's standalone and it's yeah. Insanely clever. Very much. Very creative. And it is a little creepy. So it works as a... I I think it works as a standalone episode in general... It showcases the brilliance of the Doctor. It showcases how, yeah, he has his companions, but also there's there's a rapport between him and one of the sort of companions of the week. I can't remember her name now. I think she's a doctor yeah, or a nurse, right. maybe. Yeah. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're both doctors. I was thinking, oh, well, Rory is there. Maybe there were two nurses. But yeah, so you're right. She's a doctor. They have such a good rapport mm. that it it shows that he can he can display empathy to humans who are not his traveling companions. Yeah, yeah I think that's I, I think it's a solid episode. I, I think it's massively undervalued and Agreed. underappreciated. It's it's superb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the last one was Hyde. Ah, oh. because it's gothic. Yeah, it's also standalone. Yeah, it also has that very clever sci-fi or high concept sci-fi element of there's the shrinking parallel universe yeah. or parallel dimension. It has the maybe slightly weird thing of future time traveling astronauts coming back to us by mistake or something. I can't really remember. Yeah, that sounds exactly familiar. what that worked out to be. I feel like she's the great great granddaughter exactly of one of the yeah. characters, but in the future, yeah, that maybe was a little weak. Yeah. That storyline. But the rest of it holds up, I think. And it's it's so beautiful. So beautifully shot. It is, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. I, I had Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, my God. I mean, seriously, what am I doing? <laughs> God, that's such a good episode. That's such a good choice. Well done. Only in the sense that, okay, yes, it's absolutely beautiful and all the rest of it. But it's so relatable. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have to be a Doctor Who nerd to weep at the humanity absolutely yeah like it just strikes all the chords so yeah i think that one would be a great one to to introduce oh, non-who yeah. fans to fabulous choices fabulous choices well done and you worst look there's many that i could choose from but the one that he, that came to mind immediately was night terrors oh the dollhouse yeah yeah i just found it dull it committed the sin of being dull yep agreed uh, and it was just like i remember at the end of that episode going 
Hmm. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to wait till next week to enjoy this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But th- there are Matt Smith stories that are, you know, absolute messes of stories. Sure. I think, you know, some horrible missteps, you know, a- Amy's baby turning into a pile of goo is a tragic misstep. Wait, when is that? That is at the end of Good Man Goes to War. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which, by the way, I think, I mean, it's... It's an up and down episode, like it veers all over the place. But there's a moment about Colonel Runaway. He says, I want you to be remembered as the man who told your troops to run away. Oh, right. And who ran away. Yeah. And I think if you could take that moment and write an episode around that, it would be one of those, one of the most punch the air moments in Doctor Who history. And it kind of feels like season six and se- series six and seven, there's these isolated moments in these episodes, but it kind of feels like a, a bit of a mess. Yeah. He's obviously writing Sherlock at the same time, and, and maybe he doesn't have 100%, you know, the eye on the ball. The focus on... Yeah, yeah. That, that's, what, that's the impression that I get anyway. Mm. And to be honest, the job of Doctor Who showrunner is too big for one person. Like, the, he can't be all of those things at once and I think it's sort of been and do that for Sherlock as well exactly yeah you can you can maybe be all those things at once but then it has to be your singular devotion yeah 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 so I mean and that's probably why we get a story like Night Terror this oh that'll do yeah yeah that's a that's a good choice for something to avoid yeah it's certainly. just in the sense that it's underwhelming what yeah. about you I picked two mm-hmm. for very different reasons one of them in fact is a good man goes to war yeah um, yeah yeah and it's similar to to, I can't remember what pick it was back in our classic conversation. It's something that will make no sense to anyone who's Absolutely. coming in fresh. It's too continuity heavy and exactly. reliant. Yeah. So you need something that is standalone. So maybe you yeah. would go in a different direction and you'd pick something like, I don't know, say Vampires of Venice. And you would be equally wrong in picking it because <laughs> it is a steaming pile of wet dog shit. Yeah, sorry. In case of doubt, listen to our review of Vampires of Venice. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, not favourable. <laughs> I'm the Doctor and I will be your victim this evening. Are you my mummy? Should we move on to Doc Paldi. 12? Yes. Who, I might just say, yeah. is the finest actor to ever play the part, maybe? When you say finest, yeah. is that in in terms of... Sheer raw acting talent. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with you. I mean, he's 50-ish when he takes the role, maybe a bit older than that. He's had an incredible career. He's the only Doctor to have won an Oscar, although it will be as a director. Wait, what did he direct? There was a short... I think I forget what it is now. It's what is it? Four a.m. <laughs> My brain's gone. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it's two thirty. Jesus, it's two thirty. <laughs> but no, I just I just think you know it was such a no-brainer that Capaldi had to be the next Doctor. Yeah. He was magnificent in you know not just things like oh, Malcolm Tucker. My oh, the thick of gone. it. The thick of yeah. it. Yes, absolutely. But you know we've seen him in so many other things, and you know he was wonderful, incredible in that Torchwood miniseries. I don't know if yeah. you if you've seen it. Oh, of course, uh, Children of Earth. Where he plays Frobisher and like a civil servant and it's just in charge of very heavy choices absolutely and and he pulls that off yeah he Um, was compelling in what's it called fires of pompeii as well that too yeah completely yeah but the best thing about it is that he's as much of a fan as you and i are yeah (laughs) i love that the, the amount of attention that they lent his casting 
was indicative of of what he was the, mm. of of the fan that he was <laughs> yes. like just the the zoom in on here's the little article here's the little letter <laughs> that he sent when he was a small boy <laughs> to the bbc just to write to doctor who like <laughs> he has lived and breathed doctor who his entire life yeah and has lived the dream of every doctor who fan yeah to yeah. embody the doctor to yeah. be the doctor and he does such a such a good job of it superb I mean, the uh, what other choice would they have been able to take at that point? They they had with Tennant, they had chosen to go down the cool pretty boy route. Sure. Then they have Matt Smith. They're still staying on the. He, he's a bit quirkier, but he's still the um, like more quirky, less cool. But he's still the pretty boy. I get that. So they're risking typecasting or like typecasting the character. So they can't have someone who's young. They can't have someone mm. who, if if he has edge or if she has edge, it has to be very different to the kind of edge that Tennant had, for yeah. example. And I mean, either you uh, either you cast against all expectations, or you go back to the roots of Doctor Who, and that's what they chose to do, <laughs> yeah. and it works. I have no doubt in my mind that Peter Capaldi would have been Stephen Moffat's first choice to play the 11th Doctor, mm. but he was busy, and when Matt Smith walked in that room, it was just like, we found our Doctor. Yeah, There was no way that he would have allowed Peter Capaldi to walk away a second time, and it was definitely, there was no casting involved. It was like... Yeah, come, give him a call. Yeah, you're, you're the 12th Doctor. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about it is that we... Under Moffat, the Doctor is the old man in a young man's body, and then it's the young man in the old man's body. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. I think it's just a wonderful sort of wonderful way that it sort of you know parallels one another and all the rest of it. So yeah, absolutely, Capaldi is brilliant. But to to answer the question of which one I would choose, I would say Mummy on the Orient Express. Oh my God, that's a good choice. Not one of mine. Very good choice. Motivated because it just feels like you know classic Doctor Who. I'm thinking Pyramids of Mars. Yeah, but I'm also just in love with this idea that you could do something as as magical as the Orient Express in in space. It's yeah. just that, oh yeah, okay, cool. That sounds like enough of a sci-fi idea, and, and and you know to go with it. And I think it really pulls it off. And it's it's a murder mystery as well. Or you know, yeah, it's who who why is the yes why done killing it? people? Why done it rather yeah. than who done it? Yeah. And I think as a standalone, apart from the sort of you know Clara having an argument with the Doctor, which sort of spills over from Kill the Moon which is quite minor because it is a Clara light story this one it just works superbly as a nice intro so I'm on the Orient Express very good me. choice very good choice is that your only best choice no I've got a couple of others but I'd love to hear what you've got okay so I've, I've got it once again I've got three yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm not 100% sure which one to go with but similarly, something that I really enjoy about Mummy on the Orient Express, which I now think is actually a better choice than any one of mine, but something that I really like about that story is the time constraint. Mm. There's the, uh, I mean, he even asks someone to to time it every time that there's another mummy loop. Yeah. And there's such tension, such pressure on everyone in frame whenever that happens. Yes. So there's one other episode that has a similar kind of time constraint, and it is Oxygen. Yes. So that's that's the one I've picked as my number one, although numbers two and three are equally as good, I think, as starters. Mm. But it has that it has that tension. It also, once again, similar to Beast Below, it's making some social Completely, commentary. Yeah. And and it makes you worry about not the doctor, because you know obviously that he's gonna survive. Mm. That character will survive for many, many iterations. But it makes you worry about the companion who, for all intents and purposes, is dead. Yeah. 
and that just t- that takes the zombie thing up a notch. Like when when one of your protagonists all of a sudden becomes one of the zombies, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the holy fuck moments that you have on Walking Dead or anything else. Yeah. And yeah, I, I found it immensely compelling. Yeah, no, it's a great pick, absolutely. And you know, just to sort of betray my own political biases, when the Doctor stands up against evil corporate, you know, greed, yeah, and you know, stands for humanity against that, I just think it's that's what the Doctor should be doing. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your runs up? So I've got a couple. I've also listed here from the same season, Flatline. Very good choice. Which I think is the moment that the 12th Doctor begins to answer for himself, am I a good man? Mm. And he comes up with that moment right at the end. You know, the TARDIS is restored from two dimensions to three and many more. And he comes out and he says, he's he's almost like reminded who he is. And he says, I'm the man who gives the monsters nightmares. It's it's like... It's a terrific line. He's he's back. Like we we spent three quarters almost of of a series you know, having him being a bit of a bastard, to be honest, yeah. in, in, in a number of episodes. But here he has started to remember who he is, that he, he is you know, the madman in the box and, yeah. you know, the hero with two hearts and all of that kind of thing. But also it's just a superbly clever puzzle box of a story. I think it's, again, just a standalone episode. It is Dr. Light. It's, I was going to say, it's very Dr. Light. But and it has a bit of a deus ex machina. It, it does, it does. <laughs> but so does something as magnificent as, like, the Doctor's Wife. Like, I don't think that's... Yeah. I don't think Doctor Who is above a deus ex machina where it is emotionally, like, a, like enough of a payoff to the yeah. story. Agreed. And I, th- and I think it does. The other thing that it is, in terms of it being, you know, a Dr. Light story... There are two types of Dr. Light stories for me. The first is the one, a kind of one, it's more companion-centric, which I guess we have here. But the ones that are successful, like Blink and like Flatline as well, is it's as much about the absence of the Doctor. And what do you do when the Doctor's not there? You know, family of blood and, and human nature is all about that. And yeah. I think that's what makes it one of the most compelling stories of, of Series 3. Most certainly, yeah. And, and I think it, this is the same thing here as well. It's like the Doctor's cut off. Like, what do we do? Well, Clara becomes the Doctor, if you like. She, she's, you know, coached by the Doctor to, be, to do what she needs to do. He's present enough for the episode to yeah. walk that tightrope of, yeah, this is still a, an introduction to the Doctor. Yeah. 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 So I, that one, absolutely. And then the other one, and I guess this is this is one that may not necessarily be the best, although it's up there. And there's definitely one that I can think of that is the best, but isn't on this list because it's not about the best. It's about the best to introduce yeah. new fans to. That's right. But it's Listen, which I oh. think is, again, just another superb puzzle box of a story with... Superb acting, a wonderful kind of uh, a sense of, you know, jump scares and all the rest of it that sort of put you on edge. And I think it's better for not having a definitive answer. I think Moffat is at his best where he revels in the ambiguity that it could be not just one thing or another, but one thing and the other. That's right. I think that's superb. I love that interpretation. <laughs> yes. And a very good episode. I mean, yeah. it's an episode that we talked about previously today, I think. Yeah. We- yeah, it's a, it, yeah, that's a good choice. That's yeah. a very good choice. What about your other two? So I had another one that we talked about earlier today, Thin Ice. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and that, partly because it's it's pseudo historical, so we have that setting. We it, it's it's beautiful. It mm. has all the production value to lure someone in. Yeah, it has a little bit of social commentary, not tons, but certainly some, like sufficient. Yeah, punching a racist. Punching is- a racist, and there's also there's an element of I mean, there's capitalism at play in a way that subjugates someone else. In this case, the sea monster. That's Absolutely. Uh, basically just creating fuel for them to sell. Yeah, the exploitation of an innocent. Of a slave, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And and aside from that, it's it, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's fun at times. Mm. Doc is really, really fun. Like, mm. Bill provides all the excitement, and Doc provides all of the hilarity. <laughs> yes. uh, and, and a lot of sass. In fact, both <laughs> of them provide a lot of sass. Yeah. And it's got some very nice visuals. The diving bell, not diving bell, but you know, like the old school diving suit scene yeah. where they, they they sink down through the ice. It's, yeah, it's very good. Yeah. yeah. No, great choice. Absolutely. So that one, and then my last one there was Knock Knock. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, first off, Poirot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> David Suchet is in it. He's, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. I can't remember what I gave it when we reviewed it, but I'm very confident that I said something like, my biggest beef with this is, and the greatest flaw of this episode is that there isn't more of David Suchet. <laughs> He's wonderful in it. And Doc is kind of fun. It's it's not the most Doctor-heavy episode. Mm. But when he's in it, he's quirky and ingenious enough for it to be interesting. Bill is just lovely in how she interacts with her new yeah, housemates. True, true. Even though it's super weird that she is housemates with these people. Like, the, why? since when? Like, <laughs> why are they friends? Why have we never heard of them before? Wait, they're not even, they're not studying together. Like, how do they even, it doesn't matter. They're great. I, I buy them as friends. And the relationship between Suchet's rather much, much older, yeah, no, adult child versus his childlike mother Mm. is so heart wrenching and sad Mm. that, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll sway people with that. It's it's one of those heartstring episodes. Yeah, okay. I can see that. That yeah. All right. No, I'm 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 prepared to give you that, absolutely. Boom. All right. Stinkers. Stinkers. Okay, hang on. I need to remind myself what this one is even. Hang on. I looked it up. Oh, yeah, of course. Eaters of Light. Oh, really? Yeah. Walk me through it. It's shit. I gave it 1.7 when we reviewed it. Mm -hmm. Not the lowest one. Marie gave it 1.5. It's... I I don't find it to be a good episode. It makes no sense. Like, none of the choices in it make me think... If this is the first time that I'm watching these characters at play... None of the choices that they make make me think that they are clever, that they are resourceful, that they are interesting enough to carry a show. It's just sort of that weird exception episode for me that I I would not rewatch. I mean, at, at some point I will do another rewatch of the whole show. And when I do, I'll probably press next on a few of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So, and that bloody music that's just been like quite literally copy pasted onto the timeline in the editing suite. Why? Just get another clip. Get another clip. <laughs> Okay. I don't I don't hate it as much as you do, but okay, they're all valid points and I'm prepared to Okay, yeah, no, <laughs> to I mean, you don't that. have to. I'm happy for us to disagree on something as well. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the one that, that's the clearest sort of stinker in that group for me is Sleep No More. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're so... Yeah, that's a good one. Wait, not I mean, a, in that it's a bad one. Wait, yeah, not only is the story just Oof. awful, yeah. but also 
tries to cheat the audience. You know, it's like it just tries to be clever and fails horribly in doing so. Yeah. And it just, no, it's the worst one for me. And I think, you know, having the direct-to-camera stuff from Reese Shearsmith, I think would just, particularly that last scene where he sort of reveals, oh, no, and you're all now infected with whatever it is, is just, no, people are going to go, no, this is not for me. This is yeah. not the show for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next. Next. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or never again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's right. <laughs> Just checked. I think this is, in fact, the lowest score I've given a Capaldi story. Uh, I didn't think I, about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very good choice. Yeah. 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 Right. So, I mean, that covers all of the doctors that we have done on Who Back When in their entirety. We also do have Whitaker. Shall we maybe pick something good and bad to start with for Whitaker? We're almost done with the Whitaker era as mm. we record this. That's true. We have one more episode. Yeah. I'm the doctor. Ring any bells? So we are quite familiar with it. Podcast Land is probably also familiar with it. What's your best one? The Haunting of the Diodati. Same. Yeah. So I had a runner up as well. But I'm not 100% sure about it. Okay. And it's Nikola Tesla. Oh, really? As I recall, it's a standalone episode. It's historical. Yeah. Or pseudo-historical, I guess. And it's... I can't remember her name, but it has a spy... I can't remember. I now. feel like there's a there's a there's a contemporary a spy contemporary of Tesla's. Okay. Who is the companion of the week? Bing bong, future Leon here. Pretty sure past me was thinking of Noor Inayat Khan, who was actually in Spyfall. Which, incidentally, Drew and I just re-reviewed. You should check it out, Podcast Land, with your earballs. Back to the show, Bing Bong. I might be conflating episodes. Maybe I'm like thinking of positive attributes of multiple episodes here. But but I remember thinking, oh well, yeah, that's it, she's a cool character. Okay. Well, like watching her on screen, she's uh-huh. she's a good actor. But I remember it being a standalone episode. It has a, as I recall, we haven't reviewed it yet, so we haven't I haven't rewatched it yet. But as I recall, it has a solid sci-fi story to it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of also touches upon why is Tesla this mad genius? Why is yeah, why is true. he misunderstood? Why did he not succeed, etc.? Yeah, I mean, it certainly touches upon the Edison rivalry. Mm. But there's something else about like maybe I can't remember what it was now. But there's something about the sci-fi part of the story that narrative sabotages Tesla in his life. That fills the gap for the audience the way that in Unicorn and the Wasp, the Wasp fills the gap oh, of Agatha Christie in real life. That's I think so. I hadn't thought of that. That's actually a neat bow to to tie around that. Okay. Yeah. Meh. Fair? 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 Absolutely. I still prefer the Nikola Tesla story as told in The Prestige. You know what? I totally agree with you. <laughs> I, would, I would love... Chris Nolan to guest script an episode of Doctor Who and to have Bowie, Bowie. Play, <laughs> play Tesla. That'd be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's possible that it was a terrible portrayal and I'm totally misremembering it. No, no, it was, it was a very good portrayal. No, no, I'll give you that for sure, for sure. The other two that I have on my list are the also celebrity, well, the historicals. The first one is Rosa. Yeah, okay. Which I think works for me in the sense that Jodie's a very proactive presence in that story. Yeah. And then at the end, we have an incredible performance by her and she doesn't even have to say any lines. It's the look on her face as they're on the bus and it's now going down. Yeah. I think like she's now involved and like complicit within that moment that changes history. I think that's, that's a superb moment. And I think, you know, everyone's heard of the Rosa Parks story and everyone knows about the civil rights movement and everyone knows about the importance that has had 
in terms of the history of the 20th century. So like showing someone who has never seen Doctor Who that, you know, we can go back in time and explore these historical characters and events and stories. Yeah. I think is that's a really good one to do. That's a very good point. Yeah. It makes it more relatable. Yeah, absolutely. More accessible to an audience. And more real as well. It's like... Absolutely. We're talking about, you know, r- racial equality which is an enormously important topic for all for for everyone hugely relevant yeah so i think that sort of means that you would you would get people who are not into doctor who watching it because it's it's so immediately identifiable and relevant the other one is also from series 11 my least favorite of the the new who series <laughs> right but i th- i really feel demons of the punjab works as a story yep. it's it's just Beautiful location, again, co-written by Vinay Patel. So someone, you know, got like family history in terms of the partition of India, sheds some light on perhaps a period of history that maybe not too people, too many people are familiar with. So again, there's like a real world sort of basis and relevance in the same way that, that Rosa, I guess, is as well. Completely agree with you, yeah. So, so those two were, were standouts for me in terms of the historical genre from Series 11, in addition to just Haunting of Illidiotati, which we haven't spoken about but is it's wow yeah i don't know if it needs too much familiarity with prior doctor who in order to, or with no, prior that's true yeah i think it's a good choice i was going to say about demons of the punjab we very recently reviewed that yeah it certainly struck a chord with us as well very much what you said about it's it's a part of history that not too many people in the audience are familiar with but they ought to be familiar yes, with it yes yeah and that a it for myself certainly i knew so i mean i still know too little about it regrettably but i knew so little about it before it first aired mm-hmm. and then so still so little about it when rewatching it now very recently but this very much is how what i would credit for like even seeking out any information about it or wanting to learn more about it otherwise i i may not even have considered it yeah and uh, and that also checks that box of doctor who is meant to be an education show to a certain extent yeah so it is educating its audience yeah i agree yeah. i mean the same goes for the same goes for many of the historicals or pseudo historicals so the same certainly applies to rosa but you're right i mean most people will already be familiar with that story mm, yeah absolutely what about the worst so far so far <laughs> there's probably a few too many on this list so i'm probably gonna have to pair back the ones that i've jotted down <laughs> The single biggest waste of time, including Sleep No More in the, in this catalogue, is the Tsurenga Conundrum, <laughs> which has zero to say in the least interesting way. It is the worst kind of sci-fi. I, I have to admit, I'm not a sci-fi fan. Really? I'm not. Wait, what? Outside of Doctor Who. Well, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a preference for, like, I never got into Star Wars or Star Trek or anything like that. Yeah. What I like, I guess, is I the way in love which that. that's so fascinating. There's something else about the show that clearly strikes a chord with you. Well, it's it's sort of it's mythological sort of aspect, and I think Doctor Who has been around for long enough that it's no longer just a television show. It is a mythos, yeah. And I think that very much uh, sort so of to me. And and the myth is the same myth and story that we've been telling since the time of the you know Neanderthals, which is and we've we we spoke about this actually before Leon. This idea of the archetype of the stranger, which we can trace all the way back in Western literary tradition to Odysseus and even even longer, even further before that, the dying and reviving god of Addis, Osiris, Adonis, the Christ figure, uh, etc. And it's effectively the story of someone who comes into your town, does the most amazing and wonderful things, and then before you can thank them or even ask them why, 
just leaves. They disappear. Progresses to the next town. And does the same thing. And I think that's incredibly potent. Mm. Now, that none of that <laughs> is, is present in the Serenga Conundrum. The Serenga Conundrum is kind of like, what's the most banal, empty, vacuous form of sci-fi crap that you can put on screen? <laughs> Let's do that. That's what the Serenga Conundrum is for me. <laughs> Fantastic. It, it says nothing. It has zero content. It's not even a packet of crisps for dinner. It's like the, the, <laughs> the empty box of cornflakes. You're eating the cardboard. That's what that is. <laughs> Wonderful. Clearly, I overrated it. I gave it 2.4 a few weeks ago. That's fantastic. <laughs> but what do you really think? That the, it's, it's my runner-up or yeah, one, of, okay. one of two runners-up for me. Yeah. My number one here is Orphan 55. Oh. Because it's too blatant, it's too banal in its that. in its message. It's also not particularly well acted. It's also not particularly <laughs> realistic. No, I mean, not that I'm looking for realism in this show about sure. a dude who travels through time, sure. but uh, it none of the internal logic holds up to me, and it falls almost in scene one. It falls with the oh, cool, you've got a little thing that you want. <laughs> Bajing, we've zoomed into into this makeshift plot to the oh wait hang on there's a virus i put it in the oh the hopper virus yeah yeah uh, i i put it in this whatever it is ironically i think a crisp bag dispenser <laughs> so yeah it's terrible the conceit that oh yeah well this is earth but in the future it's maybe not the first one it's one of a few episodes of chibbers that mm. have a very blatant environment first kind of message yeah and this one just doesn't do it it doesn't work how <laughs> no <laughs> i refuse to accept that this is a part of the universe and it doesn't seem to tally with anything else that we've seen of the history of earth throughout the run of doctor who i don't know if something comes after maybe maybe vengeance on varus is all about how this is an alternate <laughs> timeline of earth but i've not seen i've seen earth blow up i've seen earth get hit by i don't know if it was a comet or whatever it was i i've, I've seen earth get taken over by aliens i've never seen earth are, are you telling me i'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry i'm getting into a rant here i'm That's so sorry right are, are, are we to presume <laughs> That the Daleks show up, they take over the Earth. They drill into Bedford. They <laughs> they get vanquished. Susan grows up, lives with a potato farmer. Dot 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 dot. Is part of a society that then goes in like full scale industrial re-revolution to the point where they destroy the planet and mutate themselves to some sort of weird beast monster shit no why <laughs> i'm perplexed that this was allowed to be swept off the cutting room floor and reassembled with way too much scotch tape it's an abomination and should simply not be allowed to be aired if you have ever watched this at home you must defenestrate your television set. <laughs> it's not worth it. Anyway, sorry, I, I'm not going to get into a rant. It's three o'clock. That's brilliant. <laughs> I apologize. I absolutely see a point of view, and I think there's a lot 
not that doesn't work for Orphan Fifty Five. Yeah, I don't hate it as much because <laughs> largely because I just don't care in terms of like continuity. You want to blow up the world, you want to have it invaded by Daleks or any of that sort of stuff. Sure, you want to have like an alternate parallel universe where maybe Earth becomes this if we don't change our way. Yeah. Okay, fine. It's not as nuanced as The Green Death or Invasion of the Dinosaurs in terms of its environmental message. Absolutely understand. And it's not a great piece of television, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to condemn it in the same way that you have. Okay, I'm rewinding. Are we to presume (laughs) that this society of beast monster baddies evolves into the human society that builds skyscrapers anew, and one of them, the last one of them, in fact, is the stretched out flat, what's her name from (laughs) part two, Eccleston's... Cassandra. Cassandra. I I don't think... I don't think this works. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I just, I really dislike this episode. I'm so, I'm so. The other two that I would throw in there is The Timeless Children, which I'm not going anywhere near. Nope. Agreed. And Flux, which I'm not going anywhere near. Yeah. But neither of those stories work for me either. Oh, interesting. The Timeless Children, I think we've all seen it, right? Yeah. It's, I like to call it for what it actually is, the mansplanation of the Doctor. <laughs> I think Jody is talked at and given a PowerPoint presentation by Sasha Dewan's master for about 20 minutes of that hour. Oh, my goodness. And it's about her own life. Yeah. <laughs> and Flux is just like, God help. Even like hardcore fans try to untangle that one. But to give that to someone who has never seen Doctor Who and say, yeah. and say have I got the show for you? It's just, Hopeless. what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm lost. There is no way that they'll be able to, to sort of trace their way through that absolute mess of a story. So I would say that those two are runners up in terms of like the episodes not to show them. Yeah. Very good choices. I didn't go for either of them, but yeah. I completely agree with, with your arguments. It's such an interesting reading of Timeless Children. I mean, we, I haven't rewatched it since it aired. So same, same. There's probably, I can't remember how far into the future it is, but let's say probably later on this year. Mm, um, you would be for you guys, yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, nor I, but not because, yeah, not for the right reasons. The the one that I did add as a runner-up here, I, I mean, I had two. One was Saranga Conundrum, yeah. and the other one is, for similar reasons to prior choices, It Takes You Away. Oh. Um, so I I don't I think it's the next well tomorrow we're reviewing Witchfinders mm-hmm. it's a lot of recording this week mm-hmm. so tomorrow we're reviewing Witchfinders and it takes you away to the one after that isn't it that sounds about right I think so so it's very very close by I'm super duper looking forward to watching it because I'm what I recall is that it is stunning it has that CGI frog. I don't mind it. I'm yeah frankly I don't either in hindsight anyway at the time I didn't like it mm-hmm. but. It's a stunning episode that has aesthetics that I personally would associate more with Babylon 5 than with Doctor Who. Yeah, okay. okay. That sort of weird nowhere land that they go into. That feels very much like in in Babylon Five. There's the I think it was called Zahadum. Like the, did you watch Babylon Five? No, I've read. Sheridan falls into this cavern. It's, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Watch Babylon Five. It's great. Let's start a podcast about it. <laughs> the, uh, but you, Peter Zunich is going to be on uh, on for that one. Fantastic. Yeah. So I, I I don't feel like it represents Doctor Who. Number one and number two. I. Th- I think it does require you to know more about it because there's a, a lot of questioning of oneself when they when they go into that nowhere land, and if you don't know who they are, why would why would you empathise with that auto interrogation? Mm. So yeah, for that reason, it's disqualified in my eyes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dude, Meister, it's oh. past three o'clock yeah, at night. Why have we done this? This has been such an incredible blast. It's uh, so you're not aware, but we've recorded non-stop for about three and a half hours. It's been fantastic. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for, well, everything this week, Leon. It's been amazing. To oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming. up and chat and yeah. record this tonight as well. Yeah, it's a pretty nice way to round it off, I must Very say. Very much. Yeah, yes. yeah. Glad to have you here. People of Podcast Land, you've enjoyed this episode, obviously. Uh, go and enjoy more of Stephen. Go and listen to New to Who. If you've listened to it already, listen to it again. If you haven't listened to us before on New to Who, you can catch us at New to Who Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. We're not active at the moment, but hopefully we'll be back in the not too distant future. But there's about 30 odd episodes on the feed at the moment. And you can also catch us at www.newtohoo.com. And I'm on Twitter at Steed Stylin without the G at the end. Nice. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. For someone who is new to New to Who, yeah. which episode should they start with? Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, wow. Do you know what was a lot of fun to record was maybe our Legopolis episode. Yeah. And the Christopher H. Bidmead interview. Oh, my God. That, well. Yeah. They're both great. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that, that's probably not the best place to start, but it's the one that I can think of immediately. That's kind of like the end of our first season. Otherwise, Seeds of Doom with Paul Cornell. Go check that one out. Nice. Oh, excellent. Very <laughs> nice. My first episode of yours was the Doctor Who movie. Ah. Uh-huh. Because... Uh, I, whatever you did, you did it super duper right, and the the Twitter sphere was a buzz with with it, <laughs> and it, it I, I was instantly like just intrigued, and I had to listen to it. <laughs> right, that's um, very kind. It was a very good episode, that's a lot and of I got fun. a name name check, and it was pretty badass. Well, this is what we do; like we we sort of share the love, we call it. So, if there's amazing podcasts that we're listening to, we'll say, "Oh, go check out these guys." And yes, we we definitely name check who back when for for that one. Yeah, you know, pure serendipity. The first time that I listened to you was that episode. <laughs> but yeah, no, please, Podcast Land, check out the full catalogue. It's very, very good stuff. Kind of you, thank you. You can say hi to me as well. I mean, if you want to, <laughs> do it. I'm on Twitter, at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-N, because rebranding is a B word. But uh, until the next time, please uh, be right next to each other, rock on, and, you know, cha-chao. Be seeing you. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?